This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. In the Blood is out now. Hardcover ebook, audiobook read by Ray Porter. Uh, anywhere books are sold. Fired up. And guess who else? His book is out right now. Cameron Haynes also came out yesterday on the 17th. Today is May 18th. Go check out this book, Endure. Cameron Haynes, awesome guy. You probably already follow him on Instagram, at Cameron Haynes. You can also go to his website, CameronHaynes.com. Find out more about him as a bow hunter, as an ultra marathoner, endurance athlete, and just a great guy. So inspirational. It was amazing to talk to him, and uh, we had a great conversation. So now, without further ado, Cameron Haynes. And I did see that our books come out on the same day, May 17th. So that is awesome. That's exciting. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. I love, I love, I always look at those lists and how books are doing. And, uh, I'm like a measurable type guy. I like numbers and stuff and yours, your books are always killing it. New York times bestseller. It's awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think this one's headed up there as well. And uh, yeah, we'll find out that next week, but I'm sure this is going to be in the nonfiction side right there on the New York times list. And uh, I mean, how awesome is that? You know, bow hunter from Oregon, New York times, this awesome journey. And, uh, and speaking of that journey, I love how you have Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and the call to adventure in here because man, that impacted me from an early age. And I think, cause I saw it so early, I was aware of it so early. I applied it to every movie and show and book that I read from then on. But, uh, that call to adventure, I mean, you're called to hunt, you're called to be the best hunter you can possibly be. I love how you articulate it in, uh, in this book, but, uh, that call to adventure, where did you first become aware of it? Uh, and how did that, that, that impact you going forward? I don't know. Um, you mean my personal call to adventure? Yeah. I mean, and then eventually you found out about Joseph Campbell and put the two together or how did that, how did that work? I'm just, I've always been a big fan of just reading and, and, uh, just, uh, thoughts like that. Just those powerful thoughts, you know I mean? Now it's like, you see them all the time on memes and different things on social media. It's like the name of the game is those, those, uh, quotes that stand out. And, uh, so before that, just writers like that always had an impact on me. Um, I've read hunting, you know, from Jack O'Connor. He's a, a big rifle hunter with the, with the 270s and sheep hunting all the way. That was when I was first coming up reading um, mostly rifle because the bow, uh, bow wasn't, I mean, bow authors. I'm trying to think if there's any famous ones. You know, my first one was Dwight Shue. Um, Fred Bear was before me, of course, but everybody knew of Fred Bear. But Dwight Shue was the editor of Bowhunter Magazine. And so I've always been drawn and he was an amazing writer. I went to uh, graduate here in Eugene from Oregon with the journalism degree. So he's always like my writing mentor. And I was just, I've been drawn to strong writing my whole yeah. life. That's awesome. I love how you talk about that in the book and wanting to write and then writing your first articles and uh, getting that, that letter back that says, Hey, keep going. Like, Hey, we're <laughs> not going to accept this one, but, but know. keep, keep going. I know I, I love that. And I love that you write in there. You say, how lucky are you? So you're saying this to the reader. How lucky are you that you don't need anyone to believe in you or your dream, and yet you can still make it a reality? You can become yeah. exceptional. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic advice, and it's so true. And it's, um, you know, it's not true, obviously, most places around the world. 
right. Uh, we're blessed to live here in, the, in this country. You know, I mean, we can chase our dreams. And that's what I always think. It's like in these other countries, you could be the smartest person in your country. That doesn't mean you're get, going anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so just a simple example like that just shows us how lucky we are. Yeah, we sure are. I think about it every every single day. And then you also write something, uh, something there's so much in here that resonates with me, um, but you also write, what if? And you say that those are the two most haunting words in the English language. Right. And, uh, and I, t- I completely agree, but I love the way you frame it in here. So um, where, did that, where did that realization come from? And when did that, uh, that, that kind of enter your conscious thought? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same thing with the, a man's greatest regret is untapped potential. And I see people who have been better at me at what I do my whole life, you know, it, it, these little genres of writing or bow hunting or running or lifting or whatever. I mean, I am average at all those, but I've, I've just stuck with it. So the, the whole thing about what if is what if this would have happened and I wouldn't be doing this or, or the, all these what ifs about if you know, we're so in control of chasing those dreams, but it's a conscious decision. You have to just push through adversity. You have to endure it, which is the, the whole point to the book is just, um, you can have the most talent in the world, but if you don't just keep pushing, it's going to be untapped. And, uh, I never want that. What if I would have done this? What if I would have done that? I want to just give my best and everything. Yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like that's a, a threat. Uh, you know, you are not definitely not living the quote unquote average, uh, average life. I mean, you are crushing it each and every day. Such a great example to everybody, everybody out there. Um, you know, I love everything that you, that you post, everything that you stand for. Um, and I love this. You write weak people hate success. I just keep hammering. When yeah. did you realize that? Did you, did you, was it early on the, the yeah. kind, of, kind of the haters or whatever you would have, you would have called them, you know, 30 years ago yeah. or 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, when did you realize that? Yeah. I mean, that's just been, I think that's a constant anywhere you know, in any town, any small town, any big town, but I just, I grew up in a small town and, uh, it's, I don't know, you know, for my first kill, I had a, I killed a spike bull after, you know, 18 days of bow hunting and a spike is for those that don't know, it's, it's just a one point on each side. It's not a trophy. It's a, it's a first year bull basically. And, but killing it with a bow got people's attention. And so right then it started that they didn't kill a bull. I did. So it's either you make that decision is, oh, am I going to celebrate this guy? Like, hey, good job. You know, it's, I know how hard it is. Or you can try to tear him down. Well, a lot of people will try to tear it down because they see competition. And, you know, as men, I think that's, I mean, it can be a strength and it can be a weakness too. And for a lot of weak men, it's one of their biggest weaknesses is they can't celebrate other people's success. Mm-hmm. They try to tear them down. So that started you know, my whole life. basically. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, you're such like a lightning rod for it. Uh, you know, and I have a question about that later on um, uh, that I want to ask you, but uh, I also love that you, you talk about the bow rack all the time. You talk in the, in yeah. the book as well. You talk about Bob from at performance archery. And yeah. uh, when I graduated buds, my gift to myself was, uh, was a bow from performance archery. So oh, I went nice. up there, had Bob fit me and everything. And uh, I mean, what a great guy, what a great shop oh, that is. And I love yeah. small town bow shops. 
Um, oh, I just, yeah. I, every time I go to a new town and I try to see if there's a bookstore and then a small town bow shop and try to go in at least buy a hat or something, you know, from the bow shop or, or, or yeah. something. Cause I just love how they're set up. And there was one in Northern California we used to go to. I don't think it's there anymore. Uh, when I was a kid and I'd look forward to going there every single summer and getting yeah. a new bow. And then we'd go get some bales of hay right there and then yeah. you know, take it up to the cabin. And I just have such great memories. So, um, so I, and Bob Brome, he actually helped come up with the keep hammering in a way. Right. Yeah, Cam the Hammer. He would say yeah. he was like when I was coming up too. He's um, he's probably ten years older than me. I'd say, but he was I I don't want to say at his peak because he's still really good. But he was killing it with an archery, and he was going around the world. He killed the Super Slam in North America, which is every every big game species with a bow is amazing. And uh, so I really looked up to him. Um, he was kind of just a cool guy. He's Southern California, uh, just had a cool look. He had like the long hair. He just had a, uh, he was like, I don't know. I mean, kind of like a rock star to me. Yeah. No, he's, yeah, he yeah. still is. Uh, and, uh, he's out there surfing and, you know, I mean, what a, what a, a unique guy. I just, mm -hmm. he's such a fantastic person. Um, and so you felt that you went, you hunted earlier on in life, had a couple of hunting experiences with a rifle. And then at, at some point you had this call uh, to hunt, hunt with a bow and then to improve yourself and become the best bow hunter you could possibly be. And you add running and ultra marathons and lifting to all that. Um, how did all that, how did that, uh, that journey begin? And was it, uh, was it like a, Hey, I'm out here and you know what? I can get better if I run. And then, you know what, yeah. if I run farther and faster and how did that all come about? Well, it's when I started hunting the wilderness, which is, was in the early nineties. And, uh, so I'd be back there by myself, you know, 12 miles from the trailhead, the wildest country Oregon had to offer. And, um, I realized, you know, mentally, physically, I was getting it done and I could kill bulls, but it was, there's a lot. I also failed a lot. And I was just, I did not feel like I was at the top of my game. I was doing it. And I could turn it into a big story, just like people always do. They never want to admit that they could, or I don't want to say they never, but it's few people who want to admit they could be better. You know, they're, they're, um, they're settling a little bit. And I realized I was back there. I was fatigued. I was homesick. I was, I felt like I was mentally, um, I was getting it done, but I wasn't the best I could be. And I'm like, I gotta, this means so much to me and failing hurts so bad. I have got to figure out how to get better at this, how to, how to get tougher, how to get more fit, you know, cause this wilderness area is 30 miles by 60 miles. So it's a, it's a huge area. And then I, I thought, man, if I could do these ultra marathons and run a hundred miles in a day, this wilderness is like, I could, I mean, I could hunt anywhere. And so that's what I started to do. Man, I love it. I grew up trail running too in some of the, not the exact same country, but still Northern, Northern California. And uh, yeah. I look back when I was in buds, I look back to, some of those just hills and those trails and those steep pushes. And I thought back, you know what? Hey, I can do a few more pushups here in the, in the sand <laughs> at the beach, you know, cause you know, yeah. running on those trails when it's only you, uh, yeah. and it's just, you, no one's going to know if you stop. I remember yeah. that as a kid, I'd go out there on the weekends and I'd run these trails and no one's going to know if I stop, but I'll know, exactly. I'll know. Yeah. And I thought back yeah. to that, even all those years later, you know, 15 years later, <laughs> whatever it was in buds, um, you know, thinking back to those times. So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's so much benefit, not just the physical part, but just, um, also that mental part of not stopping, even when you're the only person that will, will know, um, but just being in that fresh air and the yeah. beauty and being a part of it, it's just, there's so many benefits to, to trail running. I just, I just love it, man. There, there, you know, that, 
you said that, that you would know if you stopped. That reminds me, I had this goal one time and I don't think I put it in the book, but I wanted to do an ultra marathon on Saturday. There's one in Southern Oregon in Ashland actually. So you're talking about Northern yeah, California, yeah. just over the border. Right and, uh, Great mountains right there. There's a ski resort up there. So there's an ultra marathon up there. It's called the SOB. And then the next day was Eugene Marathon, was a regular street marathon here in Eugene. So I thought, well, I'm going to do the, the ultra on Saturday and the regular on Sunday. <laughs> and I was so beat up. I was like, did the 50K in four and a half hours. It's like 7,000 feet of gain. So it was not, not easy. My feet were pretty banged up and blistered and all this. So then the next morning I get up and I'm sitting here in the kitchen <laughs> And my feet, I could barely walk. And uh, my wife comes down and she's like, she goes, just Cam, don't, this is, you know, you're in too much pain. Don't do it. Does anybody know? Did you post this or anything that you're going to do this? And I'm like, I know. I know that my goal was to do an ultra and then the next day do a regular marathon. So, no, I didn't post it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know that's what I was going to do. And, and I'm wavering on doing it. Anyway, so I went and I, I went to the race and I, there's this little side street there by Hayward field where the race started. And I did a little jog and it's like, Oh my God, this hurts so bad. And I kind of jogged one block and jogged back. And I'm like, well, I'll try it. Anyway, I started off pretty slow, like eight thirties. And then I ended up actually getting into a groove just mm -hmm. like you do. You push through and it's amazing what you can find, what you're capable of. And I think buzz, that's the whole point of buzz, I think mm -hmm. for you guys. Yeah. And then I ended up, you know, clicking off some fast miles and actually having a good time. But uh, it was like that decision where do I really want to do this or not? But you know, if you make, if you have to, you have to live with yourself. So you can't lie to yourself. That's right. Oh man. And that, that trail running in particular, for whatever reason, because maybe because it's you're on, you're alone, there's no cars around, no exhaust, uh, you know, I don't know. There's something just about it. I love being, being out there. And I remember, you know, it was just regular running shoes back in the day, but I remember when like the first trail running type of shoe came out and I think I was probably in fifth grade and it was mm -hmm. like the Nike Lava Dome or Son of Lava Dome. And I need <laughs> yeah. to look up on eBay if I can find one. Cause I think I wore those for a long time. I, I'm pretty right. sure that my memory serves, but I might be, I might be off. Um, and that wilderness that you're hunting in Oregon, is that the, uh, the Eagle Cap wilderness? Is yeah. that where you would go? Yeah. Man, That's it's right. So beautiful. I love it up yeah. there. It's just Oregon's well, such a beautiful spot. It is, but I used to hunt the marbles too, which is north. I don't know if that's where you were. If you ever gotten the marbles or the uh uh what's that other big wilderness? Right I was like there? three sisters. I spent time uh back oh. back in there and going to like okay. middle sister, south, south sister, I think. Yeah. that yeah. when I was a kid. But uh, oh, that's so good, beautiful. Yeah, the, the sister so the, the the there's north, middle, south. And then right by there is Broken Top, and then Bachelor is a little mm -hmm. ways away. But mm -hmm. those are all all good peaks right there in the Cascades, right out of Bend. That is a great country. Yeah, I mean Oregon's such a great great state, and then down south, I love the Rogue River going down there. Great memories. I've taken my family there many times. Get away from the phones and the iPads and everything else, and getting to the bottom of a river canyon like that or the Deschutes or something. Um, I love that. And then getting out hunting with the kids, yeah. like those two things, get to the bottom of a river canyon. There's no yeah. Wi-Fi. There's no cell service. You're forced to be right there together in the moment, enjoying that yeah. beautiful wilderness area. And then same thing with hunting the places that we go. Most of the time there's not service, uh, certainly not Wi-Fi. So, so many benefits to it. But, um, I also want to ask you about the 130 pound rock that you thought was about 70 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. Story. I, don't, I don't want to cover every story in here because I want people to, to buy this and get it and, uh, and then give it to their 
sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, high school, or someone who's just leaving, getting out of college and into the workforce or getting out of high school into the workforce. Um, Cause there's so many lessons that you share. And I'm a huge proponent of, uh, of learning from others and applying that going oh. forward as wisdom. Cause you're going to learn lessons and you're going to get yeah. hit. You're going to get knocked down. Like that's a given, but you can make, you can learn from other people's as well. So you can grow a little bit and kind of right. expand your horizons and your potential. And there's, there's so yeah. many great lessons in here, but the 130 yeah. pound rock story was fantastic. Yeah, I, that, I had been running, so I run this mountain every day um, at lunch, and it's you know it's about a thousand or eleven hundred foot gain, so in in a mile and a half, so it's gets up pretty good, and you if you as hard as you push, um, you can that that that's what uh, how much you're gonna hurt is basically on, on how fast you're running. So if you hike it, it's not that bad. If you try to run hard, it's exhausting. But anyway. So I did this seminar at Cabela's and I remember seeing this rock. And so I told the guys, I said, Hey, does anybody here want to go with me and do my mountain? After we get done with the seminar, there's this rock on the side of the trail and I, I, I'm going to carry it up and we can do this all together. So I figured, like you said, it's about 70 pounds and I got, got to it. All the guys are there around me and I'm like lifting it up. I'm like, Oh my God. This thing is more than seven. I'd never was it like an iceberg? Like there's only a the above the ocean. I just hadn't really thought about carrying a rock before. So I was like, I just seen it just based on the size. I'm like, whatever I had in my head, maybe that was 70 pounds. Apparently rocks are <laughs> more dense and heavy than I had ever realized. So I picked it up. And I'm like, oh my God, this thing is, this is more than 70. So I ended up carrying it up and it's a, you know, it's cool. It was hard, very hard. But on another trip, I'm like, I wonder how much this thing's actually weighs. So I hauled it all the way down and took it to the gym and put it on the scale and it's 130 pounds. So I, I learned a lesson on that one. <laughs> and it's hard because you got that 130 pound rock on your shoulders. Like, like you're oh, switching. Yeah. You can't, you're holding like this, but then your biceps get exhausted and it's your, <laughs> your grip on your hands goes because those are small muscles. And it's like, uh, anyway, yeah, that's, no, I love it. Workout. Yeah, no, I love it. I need to do that around here because, uh, you know, people are always, uh, you know, thinking, oh, I need to get the gym or I need to get this or that to work out. And you're like, just grab a rock, you know, and <laughs> you, can, you can get it done. Uh, I love that lesson. Yeah, just carry, yeah. carry a 130 pound rock, maybe build up yeah. to it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a story of Lance Armstrong and yeah. uh, you, who is uh, someone you looked up to. And then you actually, I think you do two races with him, but in one in particular, you're, you guys run together and you beat him. And at the end, there's this great photo of you guys together. And uh, what was that like to, to meet him, to run with him and have that experience? Uh, it was incredible. I mean, I was just, I was just another runner in the, in the horde, basically. It was like, you know, Boston is the most famous marathon in, in the U S and I think there's usually about 25 or 30,000 people. So my goal was, you know, there's a big thing about Lance running Boston because he was the endurance king at that time. He had just come off winning seven Tour de France's and he just retired, I think 2007, this is 2008. So he was like at the, at the peak, just everybody knew Lance. Everybody loved what he stood for. You know, this is before all his drama or whatever. Um, so every, he was like one of the most recognizable people in the U.S., but or maybe in the world. Anyway, I had this goal. I was like, well, I'm going to go do Boston. Um, I want to try to see if I can find Lance in the, in the mass and run with them and maybe get a picture. Somebody could take a picture somehow because I knew there was going to be press there and people just on the course. So that was my goal because I've read his book. It's, it's not, uh, not about the bike and is just super impactful. Um, I loved his drive and his heart. 
So anyway, we get to the race and I'm running and I was like, see this big crowd up ahead of me. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's Lance right there. You know, I'm looking, I can see his gold. He had this gold uh, singlet on. And uh, so I'm like, okay, okay. I've got, I'm, there's this group. I kind of stayed in, in this probably like three miles in. So then we get up to about 13 just before halfway and he's kind of by himself. And so I'm like, Oh God, I'm dying. You know, he's going pretty fast, probably like, you know, 630 or 620 miles. I don't know what it was, but uh, I get up there and we shared a few words, you know, I talked about in the book mm -hmm. and he turns out he had lost his pacers and he, he probably, I don't even know if he remembers. Of course I remember every word he said, but I'm to, to him, I'm just another guy. And so he asked me what pace I'm going to run. And I tell him, and he's like, well, dude, I'll just stay with you. And cause we were going to run about the same pace. And so that was like the story of where I ran last 13 miles of Boston with Lance and uh, yeah, total. It was like, uh, it didn't seem real. Cause I had this vision that this was going to happen before the race. And I'm just some nobody in Oregon going to Boston, most famous guy in the world. And it actually happened. It happened like I envisioned. So it's so cool. I love what your kids say before you go. I think it was a great lesson for them. Uh, yeah. that they'll, that they'll never forget because of what they said to you before you left and, and then what happened. So I think I, I, it's all fantastic. Uh, and then, uh, were you under under armor's longest sponsored athlete? Is yeah. that, is that right? I mean, until just yeah. recently, but, um, you since moved on very recently, but, uh, how did that come about? How did you even connect with under armor? Cause when did they start? Was it like late nineties, early two thousands or when did they, uh, God, when was that? 96, I think. Okay. So with the, I went to the 20 year anniversary that must in. Yeah, 2016 probably. So 96, I would think. Um, but I was just at the shot show. You've been to the shot oh, show, yeah. you know. I mean, you know what it's like. So they had an Under Armour booth there. This was back about 2004 or three, mm -hmm. maybe, and uh, maybe 2003. And so I go up there, and they had Randy White, who played for the Cowboys. Big picture of him standing there, big like they they go big, you know, with athletes all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I go into the booth, and I'm like. So what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we're going to make, you know, uh, the first layer for hunting, basically, to get that wick, that sweat away, you know, which is key when you're hiking the mountains. So I'm like, oh, I thought you guys just did football. And they said, no, we're looking to get into this space. And I said, oh, OK, cool. I said, man, I go, Randy White, he's a beast, huh? And they said, yeah, he's, he had a Super Bowl ring on. He's holding a bow. And uh, I said, you know, that picture would be even better if you had a rest on that bow. Because it's like he was, he was in the woods, had a bow, but it wasn't even, they just bought the bow just for the picture. Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't to me as a hunter, you know how hunters are. It's like, is this guy legit or right. is this, what, what is this marketing? So I'm looking at like, I don't really care who it is, but I'm like, that's not really legit for a hunter to, you know, you're not going to have a bow out in the woods with no rest. <laughs> so anyway, that kind of, led to our relationship and then I got signed on and then that was like I think 17 years or whatever wow. we we worked together. So yeah. No, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Uh yeah. and then Hoyt comes along at some at some point too. And um and I love how you talk about your first bow and what that was like. And um and you've had a long term now relationship with uh with Hoyt. And I have a I love Hoyt. I have a Hoyt I have multiple multiple boy bows and I love my Hoyt as well. Um but uh and you're still shooting that thing. They make you a special one, right? So you have that nine yeah. pound draw. Yeah they do. They do. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So how's that been? Uh, I mean and obviously you've been working with them for for a long time, but uh um, um, uh, how does that bow come about when, when you ask them, Hey, you make this special for me. How does that, how does that work? Are they like,
like, uh, I guess it's you. So uh, yes, but <laughs> no, I mean, they, they push back for a while because it's like, you know, it, you know how it works. I mean, the whole point to being a sponsored athlete is you make other people want to use what you use because you have success. So that's like the genesis of, of how this works. But, um, so that's, that's a, that's a, a good and a bad, because if I want something that hardly right. anybody ever is going to want to buy or can <laughs> use because it's 90 pounds, well, that's not helping my sponsor essentially. Right. But I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, this isn't a business for me. This is what I love to do. If I feel like I can shoot higher poundage and I feel like it's going to give me more confidence in the woods, confidence is key. When all the chips are against you, you have to believe. So that all this to me goes into believing in what I'm doing and if I'm going to get it done. So I said, I don't really care if nobody else can buy it. It That's not why I do this. I want a 90 pound bow. It's all there is to it. So it took a while because it's like, you know, for business, it's, you know, not, it's not a huge market for people who want to pull that <laughs> bow. But anyway, they ended up doing it because I do, I do have a big passion for this and I do sh- share archery almost every single day on yep. social media. So it is impacting people. Oh yeah. And, uh, and I remember I, some, uh, shop owner said, you know, I'm getting tired of these people coming into my shop and, and asking about a 90 pound bow. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, which I said, I told him, I said, would you rather them not come in your shop Seriously, and not talk about, I mean, yeah. So, Hey, that's your opportunity to sell something. Yeah. Anyway. So whatever. I, I mean, I understand I, if I'm a shop, you want you want the, the athlete to mention something that they have and they can sell directly. I understand. But also there's something good about a discussion and you, you've been around pro shops. It's always, it's kind of like a bar, but mm-hmm. with no alcohol. Yeah. It's like guys in there just BSing. And so it's all, that's good because that's how we build, build the community. So, oh yeah. Anyway. No, I love the community around local bow shops. And for, if anybody from Hoyt is listening to this, uh, I don't think it impacts in a bad way that you want a 90 pound bow because most people that's aspirational and, uh, and most people want to shoot what you're shooting. Oh, I, I can't maybe shoot a 90 pound, but you know what? A 70 something or mid seventies or whatever, yeah. like that's good. Yeah. Uh, like it doesn't matter. Like, matter. I think it's all good. So if anybody at Hoyt that was worried, no need to worry. <laughs> like, I think, I think you guys are good. Um, yeah. what have you learned over all this time? Like on the on the business front and kind of coming into this a little bit before uh, the rise of social media and all these, all these other things and, you know, writing for magazines here and there, and then your first book on bow hunting and then your next one. And now this, and like, what have you learned about business over, over this time? Um, cause, cause yeah, cause I, I think that's, that's all, that's a lot of experience uh, in, in a world that, I mean, there's business points attached to it. Uh, yeah. what, what have you, what have you learned that you, uh, maybe you wish you knew going in or that you would have done differently or that you want to pass on to other people generally, as far as business goes? Well, there's one, there's, there's a word now that people like to use that, uh, I, I don't even know. I, I wish it wasn't even a meet a thing, but <laughs> it, being authentic, yeah. right? Like being authentic is a thing now. Yeah. And to me, that's just like, that's how it should be. You shouldn't have to like be celebrated for being real. No. <laughs> you should just be. So anyway, I've been authentic my whole time and it's, I've never really wavered. I mean, just like telling Hoyt, I want to shoot 90 pounds. I don't really care about anything else. It's mm-hmm. like, to me, that's just like being true to myself. Yep. Um, so anyway, it's like, I think that's a key with it because I see people can, can cuss social media, but when I was first coming up and wanting to write, it was hard for me to get an opportunity just to get my words in a publication mm-hmm. because they have staff writers. They have all this. 
If my writing wasn't super clean, they'd have to spend time editing. So I couldn't hardly get an opportunity for years. And I would just be so frustrated. I'm like, even though I was wrong, probably I'd say, well, I can hunt as good as these guys. I can write as good as these guys. They won't give me an opportunity. I felt now another, another word is marginalized, right? Because <laughs> I was like this small town, nobody. So I was like, I wouldn't, couldn't get a chance. And now social media for all its negatives also is positive because you don't need an opportunity. You can create your own, yeah. you know? More people see my stuff on my social media than ever saw it in a magazine, yeah. you know, or on TV for that matter. So um, social media is great if I think if you're authentic, if you just just work hard and never waver, and then you just get your work out there and just try to try to say, hey, how can I make this world a better place? How can I can have a positive impact on people. And that's, I mean, if you do that, you're going to have a future in this. Yeah, yeah. I try to tell the kids. I say, uh, you never miss an opportunity to make somebody's day. Like it's, uh, exactly. it's, uh, yeah. but, uh, the authenticity word, I mean, it's, we always say, ah, but it, there's not really a better word for it. So, uh, so, and it's, it's a real thing and it would be exhausting <laughs> yeah. not to be authentic on these online platforms because with how much engagement there is and how much people share, if you're not yourself, like it's going to destroy yeah. you and people will see the real you if you're faking it with all the engagement and all the things like it's yeah so <laughs> it's much better to be authentic from the outset that's that's for sure and uh well, speaking of that you are very honest about a lot of the hunts in here i mean obviously you crushed it every single season but you share a particular hunt on the san carlos indian reservation uh mm-hmm. that that impacted you a couple couple years ago um and uh it's in the book maybe we don't have to get too far into it but it's a uh, cause I want people to read about it here, but I mean, you're open about it. You're honest about it. It, uh, you know, it works, it works out, but what was that, uh, what was that hunt like for you? Uh, it's, you know, it was a dream hunt. I never thought I'd ever have a chance to hunt. That, that's been like the most famous elk country in the world, basically. And I used to w- remember watching videos of that, you know, 20 years ago in these giant bulls. And I thought, oh, this is, there's no way somebody like me could ever hunt there. Well, my buddy Kip Folks, who who start was the original founder of Under Armour, he got the opportunity to hunt there, made a positive impact on on the people of the reservation. I love I, you know I love the people of San Carlos for what it's worth, and th- he they, he was able to score me a tag essentially. So first time I ever went there, um, it's like the dream. It's you know people say, well, if you have money, you can do it. It's like no, it's not. It's more than money. You have to. I mean, you have, it's like a community. It's the, uh, you have to respect the animals, respect the mountains, respect the people and have money. So it's, it's, uh, it's hard to get that opportunity. It's like lightning in a bottle. So anyway, I had this opportunity and, uh, I ended up making a poor shot on this giant bull. Um, um, it's a 10 by nine, but just a, a bull that you don't even, you don't think exists. And I made a poor shot on it. And so the the whole premise of that story in there is is all the worry and concern and wondering if I had got a fatal arrow into that animal and uh, how the hunt was going to turn out. And it was uh, with all that pressure of you know a once in a lifetime. Plus, it's expensive to hunt there. Plus, this has been my dream my whole life. You know, all all this has been the pinnacle of everything I've worked towards. And then to make a poor shot was, uh, uh, I mean. You'll have to read the book to see how it turned out. Yeah, but there we go. It was rough. There we go. No, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's humbling to read that. And it, but it's also inspiring that one, you share it. And for two, people know that, Hey, life isn't always perfect. And, uh, and even when you've built everything up to this moment, um, so I'm that you shared that was, uh, was, was really cool. 
And then you also say something else in here. You say, I don't give advice. I just share what I do. And I love that because most everyone else is giving advice out there and you are not, you are sharing your life journey. If you, if it inspires you, other people, wonderful. And you inspire, obviously, I mean, untold thousands of people, most of whom you probably never, never hear from, but you're having this positive impact on the world. But do you think that that approach infuriates people more than if you are actually giving advice? Uh, It might. (laughs) It it might too. (laughs) Actually, it might. I mean, they, they would, they would probably have a, uh, feeling one way or another, either way, but yeah, yeah they, it's easy to rip somebody who's, who's sitting there saying, Hey, I'm the expert do this. Yep. And then they want to find these cheeks in your armor that, Oh, you're not an expert. But if you say you're not an expert, then they're like, now what do I say? Exactly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I think yeah, I, yeah. I love it, but I think it gets under some people's skin more than it would. If you're out there like, this is, this is what you should do. This is how I do it. This is your, yeah. you know, exactly what your workout is or exactly what this, I mean, I think it, I, I love it. And well, I say that because I know, like with hunting, I know how of a novice I feel like sometimes. I've done it my whole life, but there's still times where I'm like, how have I ever killed anything with an arrow? It feels impossible. And so I don't, to me, I'm like, I think about that person at that time. And I'm like, I'm definitely not an expert. I can't, I can't fake be an expert because I feel like I'm failing out here. So I'm just being honest that even with running, there's some runs I go on where I'm like, I, it doesn't feel like I can run a mile. I feel awful. So how am I out there giving people advice on how to do this? So anyways, I'm just being honest. I, I don't feel like an expert all the time. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want to sell that like I am. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you, <laughs> I, I think it's all fantastic. Uh, and there's few things in here that really stood out to me. And actually I read this one paragraph and uh, I was like, I put the book down. I'm like, Wow. I'm like, yes. And uh, you write this. You wrote, uh, years ago, I remember hearing the following quote. They don't make statues of critics. I'd never heard that before. And uh, I'm surprised that I've never heard that before. And you write, uh, those words are powerful to me. To me, it means that it's easy for people who aren't taking chances, sharing their passion or exposing themselves through their words or actions to sit back and criticize those who are. Nobody likes to be judged, including me, but I've come to terms with it because I put myself out there. And in doing so, I know dealing with critics is part of the deal. If you have a burning passion for something that moves you, never be afraid to share it. When you do, you're making a positive difference and inspiring others. The critics, no one will remember. Right. That's pretty powerful. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I I mean, it's uh, well, obviously not my quote, but yeah, it is. I thought it was powerful too, but to me, it's like the biggest thing that sets people apart. And I think even like Rogan, Rogan, he'll, he'll be the first to admit why he likes to have these kind of crazy guests on sometimes like most podcasts go with the most popular people. Mm. You know, it's like, that's, that's, they're like, okay, this guy, everybody's talking about, this is who I want to talk to. Joe talks to people like who he thinks has a passion for life Mm -hmm. for whatever they do. If it's like, for me, it was bell hunting. He's like watching my videos and going, can see the passion that I'm trying to do this to be the best I can be. There's a passion there. And that's what draws people. It's passion. And, uh, so it's, uh, I think no matter what, and that's the whole point to the book. If something as arbitrary as bow hunting got me all these opportunities just by having a passion and, and this is what I want to do. It doesn't matter what you do. It could be any, any, uh, small field, any pursuit, it, but if you have a passion, that's going to stand out and that's going to impact people. Just, just believe in it and chase it with all you got. 
and who knows what happens, yeah. but it starts with that passion. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I think that's why a lot of people have a problem leaving, not just the military, but anything in life, job transition, divorce, whatever it might be, is identifying that passion. And you mm -hmm. listen to the calling. Like I listened to the calling to serve my country in military specifically as a SEAL, listened to that calling to be a writer after that. Uh, it was very clear to me, but I listened to it. I didn't let mm -hmm. other people discourage me along the way, or even with their looks. Like you'll grow out of it. You know how hard that yeah. is? Like I didn't listen yeah. to any of that. I used that as fuel. Right. Um, yeah. and I didn't let it take up any, any bandwidth in my head. So that passion, um, it, I think that that is why so many people have a hard time because they don't listen to the calling and that calling is the passion. Um, that yeah, can help exactly. you lead you to that passion. And, um, and you also write a few other things. I mean, this is from Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love it. Uh, you have to remember something. Everybody pities the weak jealousy. You have to earn like, yes. I had never heard that one before either. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, Kobe has this one. Nobody hates the good ones. They hate the great ones. Like, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if people are, if people are talking shit about you, you pr you're probably doing something right. Is, is a moral troll to all that. I mean, um, but I did want, so with you being a, a SEAL, was that something you always wanted to do? Yep. Yep. So from my earliest days, I wanted to serve my country in the military, even before I knew yeah. what SEALs were, but uh, I found out what they were when I was seven. So okay. uh, at that point I identified that, but my grandfather was killed in World War II. He was a Corsair oh. pilot, which is uh, the plane that had the gold wings that would fold up on aircraft carriers. Right, and yeah. uh, late seventies, early eighties, there was a show on TV called Black Sheep Squadron with the Robert Conrad yeah. uh, playing okay. Pappy Boynton. And so that was like, my, my dad would sit down and watch that show and he never met his dad. He was father was killed, obviously. Well, uh, he was very young. And, uh, right. and, uh, so we had that connection to that generation through the medium of popular culture. And then I had all his medals. I had his wings. I had pictures of him and his wow. squadron. I had the silk maps they used to give aviators back then. Cause if you had yeah. a paper map in the water, it would just disintegrate. So you had a silk map I that see. could get wet and you could still use. Um, so I would just have this calling. I think it was just in my blood. Um, mm -hmm. Just the, that calling to to serve in uniform and and to hunt because those two things are so uh, just they're parallel and they're they're almost one and the same from the beginning of time. Um, oh. It's those same tools that we use to 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 defend the tribe and ourselves and our family. Yeah. The same ones, obviously, we use to put put food on the table yeah. and they've developed over time. But uh, um, there's such a connection there. It was so primal, but I listened to it. Um, well, and well, thank you for your service to our oh, country man. and also. And also just like you were impacted by the, that show on TV and your grandfather, you know, you're impacting future generations with these stories and, and like with the, with the uh, terminal list movie, it's going to, it's going to have that same type. And that's, that's what our country needs is like men who are called to do this, to defend everything we stand for. So thank you for all you, oh, you've done in the past and all for the impact you're making on the future. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I think like now more than any other time, probably those, uh, that, those kids that are sixth grade through high school, like they need people to look up to because there's so many bombardments out there mm -hmm. that are unhealthy and there's just, there's no way to really to guard them against those things. So who they follow, who they read, what movies they watch, like all those things are, are important. They don't all exist in a vacuum. It's all, it's all connected. Um, yes. and you have so many great quotes in here. You also quote Conor McGregor, obviously you go, you go to the UFC fights. Yeah. Um, you know, those yeah. of us, I think those of us who hunt and those of us, yeah. you know, who put on the uniform, there's, like I said, there's all those connections, but UFC yeah. also brings us together there because it is so primal, I think. And, exactly. uh, Conor McGregor says, I dreamt this so clearly, so precisely, and so frequently that has manifested itself into reality. And you, you yeah. put that in here and you identified with, why did you identify with that quote? Well, I mean, just like that 
Lance Armstrong story about running Boston. It, it reminded me of that because I had said that before I went and my kids were laughing at me, like saying, you know, the boys were young at that time. They're like, oh, you're just a dad. That's Lance Armstrong. There's no way. And I, and so I had this vision and it was going to happen and it did happen. And so I've, it's, it's been the same way with hunting is, you know, I was this kid in the small town um, growing up logging community. And I had this vision of something I wanted to do. And there's every reason for it not to happen. I mean, it just, it, people from where I came from just don't quote, make it like this. And so that vision was there though, and it happened. So, I mean, that's why it's uh, I a hundred percent believe with what Connor said there. It's like, you can manifest your destiny, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not as easy as it sounds, but it can happen. And you have to be unwavering, but you can do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had a, uh, an interview early, early this morning and uh, they asked me um, about that. They said, did you ever think that you would have a, a movie or a TV show? And I said, yes, absolutely. I thought that <laughs> growing up in the eighties, yeah. I've been, I was reading all these books and reading Tom Clancy and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden and, uh, and Louis Lamour. And I just thought, yeah, one day I'm going to be I, one of these guys. And then obviously yeah. they're going to, an A-list star is going to, uh, going to option. It. It's going to be a film. Like it was just as a kid, that's just what, what I thought. I never, I never wavered from that. So I love that quote from Conor McGregor because I immediately thought of me as a kid, you know, reading in Northern California and thinking that one day I'm going to yeah. write books like this and then they're going to make films. And it was, yeah. So that one really, uh, that really, uh, I, I felt connected to that quote. Um, and you also write some, you write so many great things in here, but another one is unachieved goals don't have to result in unused gifts. And I right. thought that was one of the more powerful um, things that you wrote in here. And that really stuck, uh, stuck out to me. What did you, what did you mean by that? Yeah, it's just, I mean, the work you're putting in, it's like failure is always going to be part of it. So you might have this big goal and the failure hurts because, or some people, some people water down their goals because they're so afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. And, but I think if you have a big goal and if you fail, you still gain from it. No, no matter what you gain because you learn how to deal with failure. You learn how to deal with um, having something like, like I said, like in that San Carlos hunt where I was on the cusp of a dream, my whole life uh, that I had my whole life failing and how, how bad that hurt. It couldn't hurt any worse, but you learn from those. And, uh, and I just think, so it's not, you're never wasting your time. There's no, no wasted effort. That's all part of what's going into this whole big process, this whole big equation. And then the next time when you succeed, it's like you remember all that, all that pain, all that, that effort you put in. And you're like, well, this is why yeah. I had to go through that to get to here. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's how I believe it. Man, I love that one. And then you talk about, I'm so glad you did this in here. You talk about something that is very unique to you uh, that you've shared once on social media. And I was one of the few that caught it um, before you took it down and you talk about it in here and that's counting coup. And mm -hmm. I met, it was probably two years ago. And I, I remember that I watched it. I went back to watch it again. Cause I still remember what you wrote under there. And it's two okay. years later. Um, yeah. and I remember you took it down. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, took that thing down, but it was, it was, and you, you wrote in there, um, you know, that you don't usually share this, but this is what you do. Like it, it this is yeah. like what you do. And it's not like a one-time thing and, but you don't usually share it and you shared it. Right. And then someone in the book, you explain why you took it down. Someone called you and, and, and you talked about it. Um, but can you explain counting coup and what that means to you? Because I think it's, uh, I mean, it's so powerful and so unique to you. Um, but, and that you shared that, that stood out to me. I, 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 yeah. I haven't forgotten oh. it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, 
you know, counting coups is kind of a Native American thing, and they would do it with their enemies. They, if they could get in and instead of kill the enemy, put their hands on them. And a key for the Native Americans would be like their their enemy. They might lock eyes and realize I could be dead, but I'm not. And so that was counting coup, one tribe against another. It would be an example. And then if they did that, then they would put an eagle feather on the staff. If they tried to count coup, ended up getting injured, that eagle feather would be dipped in red and still on their staff. So it was like it was like this <clears throat> form of bravery or respect or um, I, I guess that'd be the best way to describe it. But uh, to me, it's like I wanted to get to an animal that I killed and be there when it's life left and just show my respect because and, and not hunters have a hard time with this, but how much we respect these animals in the country and, and everything involved in the hunt is it's, it's in our DNA. And it's what makes me who I am. But so I've, you know, killed a few bear. Um, and as I run the arrow through them, they take off. And if I can get there before they die and touch them and be with them as that life leaves to me, that's like, I'm giving my respect to an animal I killed. And I'm, I'm, I've told him on that video, like, I think that you saw is like, it's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, sorry, but this is what I do and you can go now. And, uh, it's, um, people would probably would even hunters might have a hard time with that. So Wayne who owns a bow rack here, he's the one who called me and I know he's in my corner and he said, I'm worried about how this might be perceived, you know, and I thought I tried to explain it, everything that it meant to me in the words, but still it's like, so, you know, bears sometimes do death moans. So uh, when you hit them in the lungs and they're dying, they'll do a death moan, which sounds pretty haunting in the, in the woods. And so all that wrapped up in a, in a hunter chasing a wounded animal and, and touching him and saying those words and the bear death moaning, it was, it's intense. But to me, that power is like, we kill to we kill to survive every day. I mean, every every human life out there, there's death associated with it. So to me, it's just like accepting that and also honoring it and honoring that animal for giving its life to me. Um, but people who don't realize that their existence costs you know costs lives, they don't understand that. But yeah, that's that's a point to counting coup to me. Yeah, no, it's so powerful. And I think I, I don't even think you knew that it was being filmed on that one. I think somebody like uh, Johnny was running behind you, maybe, or somebody yeah. was running behind you, videoing it and gave yeah. it to you after. So right. it was. Right. No, I never said. Yeah, I never said. Hey, let's film this. Yeah, and you said that in the in that. I mean, it's two years ago. I still remember that uh, yeah. in, in what you wrote there, um, which makes it even right. more powerful. Um, mm -hmm. Once again, that being authentic piece. Um, but that was. Yeah. And I, and I love that you explain it in here. It's just, yeah, it, it's amazing. And um, speaking of the anti-hunter stuff, you know, you do talk about it in here and we can leave that for, uh, for people that pick up the book. Cause obviously we're hunters. Um, yeah. But a couple of things you say in here about that uh, one line, another line that stood out to me was that uh, when was the last time a hunter threatened in, uh, an anti-hunter's life? Uh, yeah. And it happens to you, I don't know, daily. Uh, yeah, it does. Quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it goes back to that. I don't think they understand life and death and, and respect life. So hunters, they understand that connection. They're not going to threaten. They're not going to make a threat like that because we understand what death means. You know, I mean, we've seen it, we've been around it. They don't, they, they're like not really in reality. They're in this, this fantasy land where nothing dies. Everybody's happy. I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how they think, but so to them threatening death isn't, isn't that big of a deal, but yeah, I mean, hunters don't do it. 
because we, we get that connection. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of it in those terms before. So when you wrote that in here, I, I, I was really, you know, that was enlightening uh, for me. And I've read a lot of these things and thought about these things a lot. So I really liked how you did that. And then you talk about the, uh, the supermarket hitman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's So they go, people buy steaks and hamburger and chicken and everything else. And that, you know, it's, it's just cellophane wrapped meat. So you're not really thinking about the animal mm -hmm. that died, to put that there. So essentially people who go and they buy those, those meat products, they're paying a, a hitman to do the killing for them. They're still killing, but they're just trading money. They're trading money for that death. And uh, so it's, you know, we don't get out of here without, without, uh, you know, there's their death associated with, even if it's just living in this house, because, it, you know, there's wood here, uh, whatever animals were living here where this house was built, um, driving on the roads, displacing animals, killing animals. So it's like, you can't get away from it. It's just, you need to accept it. And uh, it's, uh, that's hard for some people. Oh yeah. I mean, talk about wheat fields, you know, cornfields. I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah. amazing how people can go through life totally oblivious to that because there is not that connection to the land, the animals that inhabit it anymore. Now we can go to the grocery store. We can call 911. If someone's breaking into your, into your home, you don't have to pick yeah. up a weapon to defend yourself. And it's only for a very slim part of human history has this been possible. And, yeah. uh, no. COVID in 2020 maybe made some people think that, Oh, society is not maybe as stable as I thought. Um, right. and, uh, hopefully people took some, some, uh, some steps to be more self-reliant, more prepared. Uh, I think a lot of people did uh, get get into hunting or, or reconnect with some of those roots or reconnect with that that DNA and that blood that's flowing through their veins. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, society is is certainly fragile, and it's only been like for the instant of human history where we've been able to to not be good at the hunting and not be good at the fighting. Um, yeah. But it, we're uh, pretty spoiled right now. We are very spoiled, very comfortable. <laughs> Uh, yeah, very comfortable. Right. Yeah. You, you talk about being comfortable and uncomfortable in here. I love that chapter yeah. as well. And, uh, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have to get to work, but there's a couple things I wanted <laughs> to touch on. And one is, yeah. uh, is Joe Rogan saying there's enough cake for everyone. I love that, how you wove that I in. Know. I know it's, it's so true. It's like, he was the first one who really walked the walk in that regard where I say, as I said earlier, men are competitive and sometimes, you know, some men will take another success is like a slide of, of their, their own achievements. Well, Joe, you know, maybe he saw that, or maybe he is a discussion, but he just said, he goes, you know, there's enough cake for everybody. You can win. They can win. Everybody can have cake. And I was just like, man, and he, he exemplifies that because he's been my biggest cheerleader. Actually, you know, um, what I've told him is like, I wish I believed in myself as much as you believe in me. You know, and that's true because I don't, but he's like the ultimate cheerleader. And so it's kind of, it's, it's, um, that always stuck with me where, when he said, there's enough cake for everybody, we can, we can all succeed. You know, your success doesn't have to cost somebody else. Exactly. Especially, especially in this country. Um, but I love how you wove that in. And then, uh, I wanted to ask you to share a, a story about, uh, Roy's buck because Roy, obviously you talk about him on, on social channels. Your, your mm -hmm. friendship is, uh, uh, I mean, what an incredible friendship you guys had. Um, but the Roy's buck, like I got emotional reading that chat. I didn't think I was gonna get emotional reading endure, you know, I thought we we're gonna be running <laughs> through the woods and, uh, you know, yeah. hunting and all. And then, uh, that story yeah. got like, really, really got me. Um, what was that, uh, you know, getting that call and then going out the next morning and, and finding that buck. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, the, what I say is I wouldn't be talking to you right now if it wasn't for Roy. It was Roy's one who introduced me to bow hunting. Roy was, uh, he was a big, he was always like a, a very strong Christian and never wavered. And he would 
just have a positive impact on me. He always believed in me, had a positive impact on me from not only introducing me to bow hunting, but through our whole lives. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, when I got that call where he had fallen and, you know, my wife called and said, uh, um, you need to call Jill, which is Roy's wife. And uh, Roy had an accident. So I, I called her and I said, what's going on? She just, she said, Roy's not coming home. And uh, he'd been up sheep hunting and fell. And at that time I had that night, that evening, I hit a buck and I hit a buck, a little low and a little back, big white tail in Colorado. And so I didn't want to push it. So we backed out and I figured, you know, I, I got liver back there and, you know, it's going to go a little ways and die. And, but I didn't want to push it because animals can be very tough. And uh, so it was in the middle of the night. It's like, or not in the middle of the night, but at like 11 when I got that call. I couldn't sleep all night. You know, Roy, you know, it was clear that he had died. He was laying up there. There was a guy with him and could see him. He'd, he'd fallen 700 feet. And it was, you know, it was clear that, that uh, he had died. And so that's all I was thinking about all night is, you know, that Roy was gone and uh, it was, it was hard. And uh, so I'm like, we went to look for this deer and it, couldn't find it, couldn't find blood, couldn't find anything. So we spread out and you know, I was like, you know, just tears streaming down my face all morning, just kind of felt fruitless out there looking around in these is Eastern Colorado. So big, big, like uh, there's uh, kind of like wheat fields or uh, uh, different crops out there. And uh, CRP and um, Milo is, is what they, they eat out there too. So it just seems like expansive and seems like, you know, mission impossible to find this deer. Anyway, we ended up finding it. And I feel like Roy, um, you know, I wanted to find it. I wanted to have something positive. I wanted to have, you know, I felt like he was watching down on us. And there's me and Kip folks again and some other guys. And we found this deer. So then that, to me, that's, that's Roy's buck. And it's, I mean, Roy's buck is sitting right here in the, in the dining room right now. And it's just that white, that white tailed deer that I found the night after he'd fallen. And, uh, it was a really hard time. I mean, if I, if I think about it too much, it's still, I mean, it impacts me. I mean, I, I have the tattoo on us of our last hunt right here on my arm. That's Roy there. And this is the moose I killed. And, uh, you know, it, the impact he had on me is uh, changed my life. Yeah. And like I said, I wouldn't be here without him. Yeah. Well, that, that photo that's on your tattooed on your arm is in the, in the book here. It's a, it's a great photo of you guys. And uh, there's another thing that's, there's so many things that stood out for me uh, in here. Probably could we share that, you know, that common bond of, of, uh, of, of hunting. Uh, there's something that bonds us all together there, but uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, know both my great grandmothers, uh, born in the late 1800s, uh, made it through World War One. They have memories of their brothers going off to war, that sort of a thing, and then making it through the Depression and then World War Two. Um, so I have these yeah. lessons from these people that uh, that had to deal with that, deal with uh, putting yeah. food on the table during the Depression, and um, wow. you know it wasn't as wasn't as comfortable back then. No, uh, definitely not. <laughs> but you have this uh, chapter here, um, and uh, it says love one another. And one of my yeah. great grandmothers, she actually uh, 
born in Oregon. Um, but uh, that was her thing. She would always say that to us, us kids, our great grandchildren. Um, she would right. say that. Uh, and so I love that you write this. And I won't read the, the whole thing here because I want people to, to get the book and, and read this, but love one another. Take time to think about what you're grateful for. Uh, I love doing this while I'm on my runs. Pray for people going through hard times, not just family and friends, but people you work with and encounter. Be grateful to know the stories and the suffering others have to go through. And there's a uh, there's so much more here that uh, that is so powerful. But I want uh, I want people about forgiveness in here and friendship and inspiration. So I want, I want people to get the book and and to read that. But that one really stood out to me because of my my great grandmother. I mean, even yeah, all these years later, I still still think about it daily. Yeah. So right. um, so that was yeah. amazing. So thank you for for including that. That, that was very powerful. Um, and then I want to ask you about, uh, imposter syndrome because a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people deal with it. You talk about Joe deals with it. You think about it. Yeah. Um, what yeah. is this imposter syndrome? I, I don't, I didn't really know that th that's what it was, but Joe and I were talking about it one time on his podcast. And it's just like, I feel like, um, cause I don't feel talented. I don't feel like I'm an expert, like we talked about earlier. So I feel like at any moment, and I think it's a big reason why I haven't quit my regular job because I feel like <laughs> any moment somebody's going to come in and be like, what, what's going on here? You're a nobody. You should get back to your nobody life. And, you know, this is this is a you're a fraud. And that's what I feel like. I feel like somebody's going to figure out that I don't I'm not an expert. I don't believe in myself all the time that I have all these. Um, uh, I don't know what, what it'd be, but I have all these doubts. And uh, so I feel like an imposter that I'm like somebody who doesn't deserve um, to have even this book or even the job I have. I have a great job. My nine to five, I, you know, I'm the superintendent at the water power company. And I feel like somebody to come in there and be like, <laughs> get back in the, get back in the ditch. You're, this, <laughs> you don't deserve to be leading these men because I respect them. Yeah. And, and, and I have that connection with them because I feel like I'm just the guy just trying to earn, earn a break. And uh, so I feel like somebody's going to come in, figure it out. And then I'll be back to the <laughs> same old normal life I deserve. Yeah. You, know, you hear people talk about the imposter syndrome. You heard people in the SEAL teams when we started to get into maybe some leadership training or something like that, which we didn't really do until my last couple of years in. Um, it was really baptism by fire up to then. But that's the first time I heard this imposter syndrome thing. And I was like, what? Like I just didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't, I didn't quite, uh, I didn't quite get it. But I love that you think even as the superintendent, like <laughs> you yeah. feel like <laughs> imposter syndrome there. Uh, and yeah. I read that in here. I'm like, come on. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, and I, I can honestly say that I haven't felt that. Um, so that's yeah. why I'm so fascinated by it. Um, right. and then I'm, and then because along with that, sometimes you get this self-sabotage, I think that people can do sometimes, um, yeah. uh, when they're on a trajectory and I, I don't know, there's some of this psychology to, to all of it. That's, uh, maybe I just had my head down for so many years that I haven't even took enough to take my head up to take yeah. a breath and then I'd have it, but, uh, I'm just sprinting no. so hard. I've never, <laughs> I mean, yeah, take, maybe I took, maybe I shouldn't take a breath cause then I might feel it. Um, right. no. <laughs> and, uh, and I wanted to ask you about, um, the origin hunting line that I know you're involved with before, uh, before yeah. I let you go. Um, what, what, how's that been developing this new hunting line? It's all made in America. I see it's, there, there, yeah. there are pieces that are starting to get out there, I think, and get tested by, by certain people here and there. But, uh, what's that been like? Yeah. Um, that was just, it's just been a perfect opportunity for me because, you know, I was, the, the Under Armour thing, I don't, I was like, oh, it's kind of ran its course and uh, my contract was up. And so it just seemed like a good time to maybe do something different. And um, so I decided to do that. And then 
I was talking with Jocko and Kip and uh, Pete at Origin and, you know, what about doing an American made, you know, Jocko has this manufacturing and Pete is his partner, but Origin, they make jeans and boots and, mm-hmm. and work clothes already, geese, things like that for, um, for jujitsu. And it's like, well, you know, what about hunting? What could we do in America? Cause there's no, no more patriotic people than hunters. You know, I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of people that serve in the military come back to hunting. Um, even a lot of people who weren't in the military, but support the military efforts and, and believe in our country and what we do they're they're patriotic too. So it's like hunters, it's hard to find top in hunting garments or hunting clothes that are not made overseas. Yep. You know, everything's made in Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, Korea, China, all this stuff. And right now we're just, we were sick of sending money over there um, to, to basically gear up for our passion. So it's like, well, let's do it ourselves. Let's make this in America and give these, the, our, these patriotic group of, of men and women who love the hunt, love our country, an option of American made top end gear. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. That is awesome. You certainly have the right team for it. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where it goes made. and uh, excited to try it out. But um, uh, before I let you go, I want to talk about a couple more quick things here. Uh, you quote Ernest Hemingway, which of course uh, resonated yeah. with me. And uh, you quote him saying, every man's life ends the same way. It is only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguish one man from another. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're all dying. And so it's like, man, we got to give everything we got. We got to make that, like I said, that positive impact on people. We got to uh, live up to our full potential, you know, and maybe even beyond it. It's like, sometimes you can, you can, um, your skills might be here, but because of your passion, you might be achieving more than you actually deserve. And so taking full advantage of, of everything. Um, and it's, it's like, yeah, I, I, I love those strong, powerful words from great authors. Another one you mentioned, you, you mentioned Louis L'Amour, but also then I thought about another author, uh, Jack London, I used to read. Yeah, a lot. I read his quote oh, in here. I almost, I almost brought it up to you again. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. fantastic. I, mean, I love those mm-hmm. guys. I mean, writers, it's like, is there any, I don't know of anything more powerful than pen on paper. You know I mean? Obviously it's typewriter now, but, or computers now, but you know what I mean? It's just like the power of the pen can change the world. Essentially words can change the world. And that's like, I've always been drawn to this, um, to, to written word. Oh, it's so cool. You can tell by who you quote in here and then how you, uh, you frame your thoughts around those quotes. And, uh, it was just, I thought it was a great, a great read. I'm going to give this to my, my daughter, uh, after this podcast so that she can read it. Um, and she's quite the hunter, uh, as well, you know, at, at age 16, she started very early and just oh, had man. a natural inclination to want to go out and do it without any, without me even talking about it to her. I mean, we just had the outdoor channel on or whatever, and we'd see those shows yeah. and she really just wanted to do it. And so we've been doing it together for the longest time. Just got back from Hawaii did uh, the access hunt out there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And so she got an amazing access. Um, it was a great really? one, but, um, also you, you talk about the, I'm going to ask you about these four words. Cause I know they mean so much to you, uh, train, hunt, provide honor. Yeah, that's it. That that's it. That's, that's what, that's my life right there. I mean, I train to be at my best on the hunt. Um, hunt is what we're born to do. It's what, what I feel like has changed my life. Just being a bow hunters, uh, put me on a different tra- trajectory, you know, I was drinking, I was doing all this stuff, small town guys do, uh, crashing cars, uh, doing all this, it's not healthy stuff. So the hunt changed my life. And then we do that to provide, you know, my freezer is full of meat. I love providing to my community. I take, 
I take meat into work, put it in a cooler in the lunchroom when people can take it. And then we honor the animals. And that's that, that county coup people might not get as far as honoring the life of the animal, but Roy's buck, the mountain in the dining room there, that to me, I'm just honoring the memory of that animal. I, you know, I've got skulls right here from bucks I've killed and uh, it's, you know, that's, that's everything to me. If I can do those, those four words, I don't have to, to think about them. That's just what I do. But I like how those four words pretty much capture my life's journey. Oh, they know they sure do. And they're powerful. And anyone would be, would be wise to, uh, to think about those words and apply them to their, their own life. And uh, I want to, you know, I'm going to let you, I know you have to get back to work and you probably have a marathon <laughs> to run or, uh, or, or two. And I know you got to get the gym and throw the weight around. So I know you got things to do, yeah. um, but this is really cool too. And you finish, it's very near the end uh, of your book here. And it comes from an, a kind of an unlikely uh, uh, source from, uh, from the basketball world. Uh, and, it, and it's very cool. And, and it says here, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Right. That's powerful. Yeah, that was, that, that was, I thought so too. And the person who shared that with me is uh, George Hill. He played for the San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich. And uh, so George, he wanted to bow hunt. So I got him up on uh, in Utah there where I elk hunt and he went up there, he ended up, he didn't kill a bull, but he got to experience elk hunting at his, at his finest, basically bugling bulls in close, but he shared that story with me and that quote with me. And uh, it just really resonated because it's just like, you just keep hammering, just keep working, working, working. Eventually you'll break through that stone will break your life. will you'll, you'll get that break you needed, but it's, it's, it's not one blow. It's just going to take consistent effort. Oh yeah. No, that one stood out to me because I can tell, I get asked for advice now and uh, I can tell people that if you don't put in the work, it's not going to happen. Even if you do, right. it might not, but for sure, yeah. when that opportunity, when someone maybe lends you a hand or that opportunity, yeah. you sense that opportunity, you feel it and it's time. If you haven't put on the work, what, down the work down here in the foundation, well, it's, it's not happening. Uh, so right. regardless, right. if it happens or not, you got to put in the work. So, uh, and thank you so much for spending all this time with me. I sincerely appreciate it. I know you got things to do, but, uh, yeah, May 17th, same day as in the blood comes out. So I love that we're sharing this publication day. And I saw that when you first announced that this was coming out, I looked at when it was coming out and I saw that date and I was like, Oh, that's so (laughs) awesome. So it's such an honor to share a publication date with you. And, uh, man, I hope I see you again in person soon, but, uh, thanks for writing this. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for being open and honest and, and, uh, inspiring so many people the way you do. Well, it's an honor to be here talking with you. I got a lot of respect for what you do and your ability to to write and tell a story. And I love to see, you know, I share in your success from, from afar because I, I mean, I, you remember the first time we met was in Vegas. I, I think I was at Eva. Yep. And at a Taco Bell, wasn't yep, that's it? right. At the Taco Bell party. <laughs> yep. At uh, Vegas at SHOT Show. Uh, that was so fantastic. Yeah. That was so fun to get hang out a little bit there. And uh, yeah. yeah, hopefully we can do it again soon, man. Let's do it. Well, take care. Thank you very awesome. much. Awesome. You take care. Have a great day. Navy Federal Credit Union. I've actually been a member since 1996, the year that I joined the Navy. And Navy Federal Credit Union wants to thank the men and women in the U.S. military for their important commitment to our country. For more than 85 years, Navy Federal Credit Union has made it their mission to help people in the military community. Navy Federal Credit Union is open to all branches of the military, veterans, and their families. 
Navy Federal's employees are veterans and military spouses, so they're part of the community they serve, and they understand their members better than anyone. Members can enjoy an average earning and savings of $352 per year, a savings rate three times the industry average. An average credit card, APR 5% lower than the industry average, award-winning 24-7 stateside member service, over 350 branches worldwide. Show your own support for our troops with hashtag Mission Military Thanks. Learn more about how Navy Federal is celebrating the commitment that connects them to their members at NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. And I also have to read that this is insured by NCUA. Dollar value represents the results of the 2020 Navy Federal Member Give Back Study. Value claim based on Navy Federal's 2020 Member Give Back Study. Credit card value claim based on 2020 Navy Federal as low as APR averages compared to advertised industry APR averages as of December 31st, 2020. Published on creditcards.com. Thanks so much. Check out NavyFederal.org. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of the Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose 20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Keep crushing. It's time to get mountain tough. Make America tough again right there on the shirt. You know when you go to the gym and you don't know what workout to do? I hate that. With Mountain Tough, they have created the most functional fitness programs ever designed, all delivered to your phone. Created by veteran Navy SEALs and Army Rangers, they make it convenient to go to the gym, do the prescribed workout, and get in the best shape of your life physically and mentally. As you know, if you've been following me for a while, I've been doing a lot more typing than I've been doing running or lifting or doing any functional type fitness. So this is how I'm going to get back after it. Mountain Tough. Plus, they're awesome guys. Uh, I've met them down here. We did a little uh, podcast type interview together and they are awesome. Solid crew. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And Increase mental toughness, build muscle, improve endurance anytime, anywhere from any mobile device. Thousands of hours of testing on dedicated mountain hunters, first responders, and military personnel programs for everyone. Those who hit the gym and heavy weights, those who like to work out at home with no gear at all. Guidance for beginner, intermediate, and elite athletes. The right nudge from the right person at the right time can change your destiny. And regardless of your age or circumstances, I am nudging you to start today as I know the Mountain Tough programs and Mountain Tough community will enable you to become the best version of yourself. Mountain Tough, that is M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H, is offering Danger Close listeners 20% off all their online training programs and apparel with the code DANGERCLOSE at mtntough.com. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. All right, got a couple of things to talk about today. First, I want to thank Isaac Ailman, who now works at Black Rifle Coffee as their archery bow hunting specialist. Yes, they have an archery bow hunting specialist and 
I think that's awesome. But he was so kind, um, such a great guy and such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to archery and bow hunting. But uh, he knew that I have been a Rambo fan for as long as I can remember. And of course, Rambo was introduced to the world with 1972's First Blood. We're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the publication of First Blood, and it, it has never been out of print. But he gave me this bow. Check that out. Hoyt. Oh, yeah. What does that say right there? Rambo. Man, thank you so much. I mean, this is awesome. I am so fired up for this. And check that out. Look at that quiver on the side. If you can see that, look at that. Old school right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, man, Isaac, thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate this. And then Isaac goes above and beyond. And he didn't just gift me this. He gifted me this. It's accompanying bow right here. So that is just too cool. I'm going to find a great spot for these. Uh, I'll give them the once over and sling some arrows, but uh, that is just awesome. So uh, thank you so much, Isaac. And I'm going to get down there to Black Rifle Coffee soon. We can sling some arrows together. And what else do I have here? Little blade. We're talking about bows. We're talking about Rambo. So I can't very well not talk about a blade, but uh, check this out. Cutaway right here. So this is C-U-D-A-W-A-Y. You can go to cutaway.com, check out what they have going on and also follow them on Instagram at cutaway. So C-U-D-A-W-A-Y. Awesome blade. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Find out more about Cameron Haynes at CameronHaynes.com. And that is C-A-M-E-R-O-N-H-A-N-E-S. Be sure and follow him on Instagram at Cameron Haynes. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. You can go to officialjackcar.com. That is the website or go to jackcarusa.com for the gear. In the Blood is also on shelves now, as is Cameron Haynes' new book, Endure. Be sure and pick it up. Actually. Go ahead and pick both of them up. If you like this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube. And until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.